Hey everyone, and welcome to Print in the Ship at Episode 4, the podcast where we talk games and making games. I'm Chris from Madison, Wisconsin, and of course, as always, we got Adam from the Twin Cities. Adam, what's going on, man? Dude, you know, just hanging out in Twin Cities. How you doing? Oh, just um, troubleshooting podcast recording. <laughs> but here we are. We've had a bit of a go, huh? Yeah, it's not so bad. There's a lot. There's a lot of great tools out there now, but you know, I was just trying to figure them out all out. Yep, I hear you. What? We're, we're hitting our stride, though. That's for sure. Yeah. So hopefully, we're going to get this a little more consistent, but um, and 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 output. But Adam, what have you been playing, man? Uh, yeah. So I I have been playing the world's largest amount of board games in the last two weeks. Uh, we had a marathon. We had a marathon. We had um. Last time we talked, we had a cabin con. And this time, uh, I had another cabin con with some coworkers. And six six guys went up to a cabin from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I was there from Friday to Sunday, and we got a lot of a lot of games at the table. Um, a lot of the hotness that's out. Um, it was cool to play and see some of those get to the table. And then, um, but the one I really wanted to talk about was uh, a game called Orleans. This is a TMG game, and yeah, this is TMG, right? TMG and uh, so Tasty Mitchell and this is a bag builder uh, Euro. Um, we bag played, builder, great term. It's a great term. Um, so it's like I mean, th- think about like a deck builder. Uh, it's yeah. similar to that, but you're putting chits in a bag, and you draw these chits out of your bag, and you assign essentially like you know w- these workers to a player board. Once they fill up the recipe or you know do do the, like the action on the player board, then they go back to your bag. So it's Draw chits, play it, put them on your player board, and then either take more chits, move a tracker up, or do something on the main board. So that that just was super fun for me. Um, great balance of risk. Like a lot of systems. A lot of systems to, to think about. A great balance of uh, risk and reward. Um, sure. And it just felt really satisfying getting uh, you know your your engine and your system working. Yeah, and that's I think that's a relatively newer game, right? Yeah, I mean maybe like two years now or something, but uh, oh, okay. so it's, it's been out. It's about time I got it to the table, and I I'm looking to pick up a copy actually. So that that is one that um, I played a friend's copy, and um, you know it's good when you want to buy it. Yeah, that's that's an awesome. Well, I guess that's not a thing for me because I just want to buy all the games. <laughs> what, about, <laughs> what about you? What have you been gaming on? Um, actually, I well, I picked this game up uh, a couple months ago, well, maybe a month and a half ago, Charterstone. Okay. Um, by Stonemeyer Games. So, um, obviously, I think they make some really great games. So, I thought I'd give a, their legacy game a shot. And um, this is my first real dive into a, a modern legacy game. Awesome. And I am absolutely loving it. We are on game six, and I don't do any spoilers, but um, the, the premise of the game is. There is an eternal king who wants you to go and build a new village and show him um, what you got and how to make a cool new place for him to expand his um, forever empire. And you, um, it, it's a worker placement game. So everyone picks a plot and they start building. There's buildings that, they are, that the game starts with. You add more buildings. And the cool thing is it's like uh, um, stickers that go on the board. So it's very additive as you play. Yeah. And it, it feels really it's surprisingly impactful to place a sticker. Like, it's like, this is a big deal. And the game, like, um, just introduces more and more rules as you keep going through the game. So we're on game six, and I feel like 
the game we are playing now is significantly different than game one. Like there's just so many more possible actions to be playing. Oh, cool. And knowing that we're halfway through, it's like, I don't even know what could happen. And there's been multiple moments where I honestly have like a, like gaping mouth, like, Oh my God, I can't believe this just happened. Like (laughs) that type of uh, moment. So it's, it's really exciting. And if I, I mean, it's a game that at this point I highly recommend, I guess once I get to the end, maybe I might think a little differently, but we've had, how many different play sessions? Four? Three play sessions? Four play sessions. And played three games, games first per, time. Yeah. yeah, the first time we played three games straight, because it, it played very quickly. Um, and then two, and then one in our last... No, actually one, then two in our last go. So um, it's one of those games where it's like, man, we just want to get right into the next one. But it's um, very surprisingly fun. I mean, I think worker placement makes a lot of sense for a legacy-style game, because... It is, it is like a re- repeatable action that you can gain. Like you can be like, okay, or you can be additive to, right? So you could say, sure. oh, right away you have these three actions. Now you have four, now you have five, now you have six. And it just expands really well. Sure. In like a game like Waterdeep where you bring out new buildings every game to make it replayable, like a game like Charterstone sounds like um, yeah, that's what's adding new new value and new interesting decisions as you go is like the the continuity or like the, the the new buildings coming out. Can I ask a question? What what allows you to place a new or place a sticker? Um, so actually, yeah, you could place it throughout the game. So um, there are cards. I mean, so there are locations, and if you want to place a location, you li- meet the requirements of doing it, and um, then go to a special location that lets you. It's like a Zeppelin. It's like, oh, we're flying in a new building. Okay. So once you do that, um, that that location is actually open during that game. So it's one of those things where it's like you don't want to rush to get something onto the table if it's going to be too helpful to everyone else. Oh, interesting. Um, and the other really interesting par- part about it in worker placement, I'm trying to think of other worker placements that have done this. Um, actually, it's not totally a worker placement, but um, like the mechanic is if you place a um you place your meeple on a location and someone else puts their meeple there they can go there but you just get your meeple back so it's like a you can do like this constant loop of getting actions because your your options yeah yeah your actions are to either place uh, a minion i mean place a meeple or take all of your meeples back yeah. So if you take, but the cool thing is you can also bump your own meeple. So if you want to do the same action over and over, you can just literally take your two meeples and just like go over and over to the same place without like um, losing your turn. But what's interesting is that, I mean, obviously you can't do that forever, you know, like you want to be doing other things. Cool. Yeah. I think, I think Stonemeyer introduced that one in Euphoria first, uh, yeah. out of his line of games, which I, yeah, I, I I was you know I was excited about that. It's a fun concept because uh, Dice Dice Forge does that as well. It's not I mean oh, obviously cool. it's less of a placement, but it does have a you can bump up, you can go to where someone is, you just bump them compared to a Water Deep right where you just take their spot. I mean, yeah. you, I mean sorry, they own that spot. It's a more of a reservation. Like this is locked off, reserved versus anyone can go anywhere. But if you go where I am, I'm going to gain from it, which is really yeah, cool. it makes. It makes your it keeps your decisions interesting because you have a um, an incentive or a, you know some sort of reward. A lot of times, if you get bumped off, like they get a free placement then because they did that, or maybe they get something from it. Like that's a really cool um, design tactic. I think design mechanic. Yeah, and I think one of, one of my favorite design things from this is that the rule book is um, it's laid out as if there was a series of cards in the rule book. So it's like uh, like 
what card one, card two, card three, and the rules read in that way. And the reason for that is as you play the game, you get more rules. So they are stickers that go into the book. And, and this isn't a big spoiler, but at one point you'll have a rule and you'll be like, oh, this is how we play the game. And then all of a sudden you get a new rule that goes on top of that rule and it changes how you like, oh, now you can do this in addition to. And it's like, sure, we just we just deleted a rule and now we have a new one. Like it just and it's like based off decisions. You're like, oh, my God, we just chose to do this. It's it's crazy. Yeah. it. I mean, I, I have it on my shelf waiting to get it to the table. I uh, don't have the group to do it yet, but it's like a commitment uh, for sure. Oh, and yeah, I guess I should mention we're playing three players and I think that's a really good number because if oh, i mean cool. i mean obviously i kind of want to play with a larger group now to see if it's worse or better but we've been having a good time with three players very cool um yeah so that's what we've been playing but um last week we kind of put a call out to um other designers and people to try to pitch us their game and um we're excited to say we someone sent a really great one in Yes, the brave Len Kendall steps up to the table and says, hey, guys, uh, here's a pitch. I hope you enjoy it. Um, If you have any questions, let me know. He sent an audio file for us to play, which is awesome. And uh, we're going to play it for you right now. Welcome to Western Tropic. A mysterious billionaire has recreated a Wild West town in the middle of a tropical island in the Pacific. He is now forcing you into a theatrical gunslinging battle for his entertainment. Through card swapping, dice rolling, and boatloads of psychological warfare, you will end up being the last one standing and reap the rewards. The overall game flows in the following sequence. Part 1 includes moving around the island and accumulating as many hit points as possible, while also preventing others from doing the same. The second half of the game involves a battle royale, in which only one player is left victorious. As the culminating battle takes place, the island also begins to implode, forcing players closer and closer together. A few notable features. The game works for 2-8 to players, and lasts between 30 and 60 minutes, depending on how much time players spend plotting against each other. Unlike many games of this nature, every player stays involved until the very end, even in death. The game is purposely designed for easy play with common components, including a standard playing card deck, six-sided dice, and poker chips. However, a beautifully illustrated set is in development that will optimize the game beyond typical components. Thanks for visiting Western Tropic. Cool. So um, that was Western Tropic by, uh, I'm sorry, what was his name again, Adam? Len Kendall. Awesome. Yeah. So Western Tropic. Um, wow. I mean, what a pitch. I mean, I guess uh, we kind of laid out a couple of things that we want to go through when we get these. Um, and the first one was just overall presentation and quality. And um, I think that's pretty safe to say with the sound effects, they're pretty nice, pretty great. <laughs> what yeah, do you think? I mean, sound is good, but I also think, you know, um, you know, covering all the basis and and, deli- and delivery and, and having it honed, that's yep. another piece of quality to me. So I thought it was very honed. It was like right direct to the point. I, I, can, I can completely imagine myself playing this game as, as you're pitching, Len. So great work there. Yeah. And uh, coming in 30 with 30 seconds to spare. So <laughs> yeah, how about that? And pretty flexible on the timing. But, you oh, know, I sure. think, yeah. yeah. Um, so well, one thing I wanted to 
what uh, talk about was so presentation is great. Um, we always look for hooks. So in a pitch, where where yeah, is like the what, hook? Is, what is the hook for this game? Like what is the thing that you are gonna like in that minute and a half is gonna just grab someone? And go oh yeah, that sounds great. And one thing that's really interesting is is a designer might think that they that they um, understand the hook of their game. Um, and it's great if they don't tell us the hook because I think it's great for us to diagnose what the hook is and then give the designer that feedback of like, oh, this is what people thought was interesting about it. So uh, for me, um, obviously Battle Royale is really topical right now. Yeah. Um, Fortnite is huge. Um, PUBG is PUBG is better. So. No, PUBG is great. It's um, fine for all you people who like it. I don't mean to offend anyone. <laughs> I, I mean, it's you're doing something right, obviously, right? Yeah, obviously. Um, and there are more and more companies that are just uh, trying to launch Me Too products right now. And so the fact that the, the digital world is all about Battle Royale, um, I am not surprised to see some Battle Royale games flood and potentially do, do really well in the tabletop market. So yep, the hook, sure. the content, right on. Um, for me, the other, the sub hook, I would say, is actually like the two to eight players. Everyone plays until the end and 30 to 60 minutes. Like that's... Yeah, that's a pretty darn good, uh, you know, stat line when you're coming to a game. Like, I don't know that many stat games that that can deliver that stat line. There's a yeah, few out it's there, either not many. Amazingly bold claim, or um, <laughs> fair, or it's it's. I mean, like obviously we all know the joke of like run game play, like run times, right? When you say thirty to sixty minutes, like what is like? There's a lot of variables there, but if that if that is the case, then that's that is you're right, a pretty awesome stat line. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, the, the other piece uh, in any time you have a two to eight, right? Like how does it play at two? How does it play at four? How does yeah. it play at eight? So like hitting the, hitting the valuable, um, and, and, uh, um, you know, really, really just, you know, good experience throughout that, uh, player count is, is important to, to a publisher. So we, I would look yeah. at that and say, like, what are your two player rules? Cause a lot of games will have a specific, specific two player rule. Does how the map changes for two players? How much changes for three? Yep. Like, What's the sweet spot, right? Yep. What's the sweet spot, right? Um, does it actually make sense to go update? Maybe it does. I mean, that's really awesome if it does, um, because I think you you can get a ton of chaos. And I, honestly, these battle royale games, they, it's a hundred players dropped into a map in a digital map, um, and last the circle, standing, right? Last man standing. The circle closes as the game progresses, and so not only do you have to try to get weapons, you have to go attack uh, or defend yourself. Um, you, you know, you want to pick off the people that are not good at defending themselves and then you need to get to the safe zone every time. So the safe zone is always moving. And so, um, the circle closes and closes and closes and then, and then you just have a fight at the end, basically. I mean, yep. it's a really high tense situation. I'm kind of downplaying it here, but it's like, it's one of these blood, blood bubbling moments in gaming right now in the digital world where, I mean, there's, there's nothing like the, the battle royale genre because it is just so tense at the end. It's cool. Yeah, and that's where um, I think in this theme is a huge deal, right? Because um, actually in the digital space, there's two very different themes. There's Fortnite with the fun, lovable, um, arcade feel. And then there's like PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, which is very um, tense and like um, realistic and military sim-esque. Well, I think um, obviously we're doing an audio format here, but if you guys go to westerntropic.com, you can see the artwork that exists for this. And the themes are really interesting because um, as, as you heard in the pitch, it's a billionaire who is trying to do a theatrical um, battle to the death. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like Western Tropic is kind of a, an interesting clash. 
Interesting clash for sure. I mean, it, it almost sounded a little bit Hunger Games esque when when um, when Len was talking about it, but then he it very quickly went to a battle royale as he, as he kind of explained the, yep. the flow of the game. It's almost as if those are the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, one, one, one piece that I thought was really good about Len's pitch was he, he talked about, um, he set the setting for us. Yep. He, uh, he gave us a hook. Um, he, he then went into kind of flow. He didn't talk too much about mechanics, but like he, he kind of gave us an overview of how the game might feel or, or, or be, you know? So like, as yep. players are collecting health or um, trying to prevent other players fr- from collecting health, like to me, I, I instantly thought of myself like, "Hey, that could be fun. I could totally see myself um, trying to optimize my my potentially my route to get the the, the most upgrades, and then yep. trying to block other people in the process." That's cool. Yeah, it's really interesting because I just thought of all the things that like it made me honestly feel like I, like the things you do in a game like Player Knows Battleground, right? Like, oh, I need to get as much stuff as I can. I need to get the best stuff I can, and then I'm gonna go get ready to fight or I'll try to survive as long as I can. And um, that pitch gave me that feeling, which is really interesting. Um, oh, go ahead. I was just saying. I'll, I'll, I'll put a counterpoint on the theme real quick. So the theme to me didn't resonate. Uh, as as well, I, I actually was a little confused when I heard Western meets Tropic. You think um, it's the name? That being said, as soon as I saw the artwork, it, I was a sell. So I went to the website and I was like, "Come on, what's this Western Tropic yeah. theme going on?" So I saw the kind of the, the the concept cover and I was like, "All right, I'm the in." Desperado in the jungle yep. style, yeah. Yep. So so I think you know theme is theme is tough to portray with audio, yep. uh, and so. You know, I mean, any, any, I mean, you don't have to have like uh, additional content material, but like it's helpful, even if it's a Pinterest board. I mean, a lot of times I make a Pinterest board when I'm starting to concept a vision of a game. Um, that kind of stuff helps set the tone of the theme for what's going on. So that was awesome, Len, um, to, you know, awesome that he has that fleshed out already. It's really great. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like this is, um, there's been a lot of thought going into this and, um, Honestly, when we talk, like uh, the next week bullet point we want to talk through is, I mean, like when we're talking through these type of pitches, is how much do you want to play the game? Um, and to be honest with you, like if you want to send a beta this way or prototype or print and play, I'd be happy to give it a go. It sounds pretty awesome. Like at this point, I'm I'm very intrigued. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued too. I, I, I will often um, ask for a rule book when I hear a game that I'm intrigued about um, because I think. Um, I can much, much quicker uh, assess the mechanics of the game and whether or not I, I think that the mechanics are going to be something that I like. Um, I mean, this is obviously like a selfishly a publisher will look at a game and say, do I like this? Do I think this is something that yeah. I want to play and I want to make? Um, that being said, like, I think that um, publishers in the industry will, will look at this this pitch right now and say, well, hey, Battle Royale's hot. Um, yeah. You know, the concept, the pitch is cool. So I think I think people would resonate with this pitch right now, which is which is awesome. You know, props to uh, Len for coming up with it. Yeah, um, and I think one of the other big bullet points that we want to talk through is the component componentry. Um, yes, obviously, without like visuals of what that stuff looks like, we are just going based off what one um, said in the audio and what's on the website. Um, and the, the one interesting thing was is that it's standard cards, poker chips, and standard D six dice, which is interesting because in my mind, um, the first thing that I went to is, is this just a game that I can like play? Like, obviously there's a board cause you say there's a contracting board, but like, do I need, can I just like get the print and play and actually just like 
have a good time with this game or what's going to drive me to buying the to, to buy the actual finished product yeah um to i mean to be perfectly honest on this one like this is this is one point where i i as a publisher would say you know adam's apple games as a publisher we, we would take this in a different direction and probably not focus on that point as much but it's really interesting that you did bring it up um for for, for the print and play standpoint so i think yeah. you could probably get people a lot of people to try this this game and this um this prototype by you know by saying that you don't have to cut out any cards um here here are the things you know it's common stock components yeah. it's going to be really easy to to put it together just print out this board and you're good to go so i think if you do that you lean into the print to play like you say oh this is great for print to play but like in the actual marketing you would just right not mention that part so in in the pitch to a publisher um i might actually not mention that part at all because yeah. To me, I mean, I'm I, like as you're as you're talking about this, like we're, you know, this this vision is starting to develop in my head, and I'm like, this is what's happening, and this is what it could look like, and these are what yeah. the components could kind of look like. These custom um, action and, cards, and yeah. and yeah, and I think you know the hobby games market just tends to gravitate towards um, custom and beautiful, and I mean, designed. Um, it doesn't always have to be like super complex; it can mm-hmm. be very minimalist. Um, but you know. I think people want unique. Um, as soon as they see um, a deck of you know bicycle cards or whatever, uh, that it, it takes a little bit of the uniqueness away. Well, you, you, to, to the point, he did mention specifically that there is a like like fleshed out art on the like the standard deck of cards, which I right. think is a good thing. But at the same time, like if I grab the deck, like if I am at, like at a convention looking at a game or anywhere looking at a game, and I see a ace king queen of hearts i go oh what is like what like there like there i don't want to say there's a stigma to it but i just have this thought yeah i mean i'm, I'm cool with whatever for a prototype that's fine i well, think for, um, for sure, for this, a prototype, but like one thing i will right? one thing i will point out right right i mean i think pitch versus prototype is a little different one thing i will point out is um this may be a strategy move on len's part if he's potentially looking to uh to, to self-publish this guy um at keeping the costing very low for sure at a at a at a you know at a, a tier or potentially the entire thing, um, and then offering potentially a higher tier. So I mean, this could be a strategy play in terms of yes. product portfolio. That's where my mind went right away because um, the other topic we want to talk through is like, what do we expect the price point to this for this be? Yeah, for this to be. And my first thought was, okay, there's a board, right? But then if the rest of it is standard componentry that I could just have and I could just buy a kit that was like, oh, here's the board and the starter cards that you need to do this. Grab your own yeah. cards and poker chips and d6s i was like oh that would probably be a 25 to 30 dollar game but once everything is standard and there's like a bigger board i think that would obviously scale like custom board and action cards i would scale that up to i don't know 50 dollars in that range maybe yeah i mean this is a tough one right because it's we we have a limited perspective of uh limited visualization of the components yeah um but that being said like you you can assess the weight of a game based on the theme, based on the mechanics, yep. uh, based on the time, based on the player count. So based on that stat line, the theme. Um, if you went custom, I agree. I think you could probably hit somewhere between thirty and fifty and sell copies. Um, and, and I think there's maybe even a. T- I, I honestly think there might even be a little bit higher end where, where like this could potentially go a minis route somehow. Um, oh sure, yeah. If you really wanted to customize things, because because these games tend to lean into loot crates as well. So yeah. um, I don't know if you want if you'd want to build that in, but there'd be potentially a way to build in like the the loot crate style model. Um, whether it's uh, 
comes included in, in the initial box or it's an add-on later. Got to get those cosmetics. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's cool to have like you know the um, whatever the fire fireman's code and you know whatever hat you got on. It's it's yeah. fun. Um, yeah, and I guess like the last thing is like, are there own? I mean, we could probably talked to this, but um, are there any open questions? And realistically, I think if we have questions, then that's kind of can be a very good sign. Like, hey, like um, I'm intrigued. Um, but I guess my biggest one is just understanding how all players stay in the game. And once you're knocked out, how does it? Like, yes, you can be in the game, but is it still interesting? So. I, I'm interested to um, learn more. Yeah, and 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 my actually my, my question actually would would focus on the the mechanics of the battle at the end because I I think that um, it's really tough to do battle mechanics well. Sure. Um, that a lot of times it nailing it. Well, a lot of times it just results down to a die roll, and I I as a publisher I always want to see designers thinking about something more interesting than just. Die roll Adam versus die roll Chris. Who I'm wins? Okay, I, I killed you. Awesome. Well, but, but there's got to be some sort of decision for me. Yeah. I mean, I, but well, I mean, fair like, enough. I, I think I there's it. like in my mind when I say that, I think of like a I, I'm big X Wings player, big fan of that game. So like, you can fly perfectly, and then there's this sense of dice. So like, if there's other things that go with it, then you have dice. I think that can be fun. Because dice are always exciting, but yeah, if it if it if it if it literally just comes down to like oh, it feels like a straight up dice roll, and the actions that you took up to that didn't matter, then that's not as cool for sure. Right, there's got to be a supporting cast, um, and, and, and decisions either input um, decisions that that deter help help determine the results or output decisions that you make based on the die rolls, stuff like that. So um, that that's where I would look. At, sure. uh, you know, is this game going to be solid or not? So, yeah, um, I guess I, I would offer dot com. Yeah. Uh, also, I'd offer to let uh, Len, if you um, got a tabletop simulator version or whatever, you want to shoot us a link. Um, we'd love to take a crack at it for sure. Or printed play, whatever you got. Yeah. Anything. Um, but yeah, thanks for sending it in, Len. And once again, Western Tropic dot com. Um, yep. we're trying to keep this Real. a tight show, but I think, um, it is still worth going into our actual topic and maybe we'll just go a little bit of overtime. What do you think, Adam? Agreed. I, I would say too, just real quick, um, th- this is not a one and done segment. We're going to continue to do this. So if you have a pitch, um, you like to, like you, you, you want to receive feedback on your pitch, send us your audio and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep going. We'll, we'll, we'll review your pitch. Yeah, for sure. Please feel free to send those in. Um, and yeah, so moving on to our future, I mean, our featured topic, um, it's that time of the year, uh, Gen Con prep. Yeah, we have Gen Con prep. So our, again, our business model is kind of set on um, making a, a product release at Gen Con uh, year over year. Um, a lot of excitement there. Um, a lot of preparation goes into making that show a success. Um, the The first one that comes to mind is, you know, it, it happened a while back is like lodging and, and um, figuring out where we're going to stay that year. We've typically stayed at the um, holiday or sorry, um, the Hilton downtown. Yep. Um, if you've ever but, been to Gen Con, you know how hard it is to stay anywhere. You know how hard it is. So, five mile radius. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a competitive booking structure. Everyone gets to book at the same time. Um, general admission is a different booking structure versus publishers, mm-hmm. but still even publishers, if you log in that first day and you're like, two hours late you're probably not going to get what you want so After 20 minutes you gotta log in early you got to know what you want um and where are we seeing this year we actually had an off-site airport location unfortunately um but we ended up 
throwing a Hail Mary and grabbing an Airbnb closer for a little extra cash. But I think it's going to be worth it. Um, we have a lot of people that we're bringing with us. So I want to make sure that everyone has a good time. Yeah, it's a, I mean, that's one of the biggest things for us is that um, we, bring, we bring a large demo team. Um, and I think it may be larger than most te- companies of our size, but um, possibly, I don't know. Yeah. We're going to have 10 people this year Ten people. Uh, so yeah, so we have 10 different people and obviously 10 people need to sleep places and get um, down to Indianapolis, which can be a little bit of a um, logistical thing, but it's, um, I think it's totally worth having that many people. It. It can be. I mean, it depends how you use them. I mean, For we sure. we have um, we we have prioritized having fun first and um, doing work second. Yeah, this um, is like this is like the corporate outing. That <laughs> definitely doing work second uh, is is a big deal too. So, yeah. I mean, we have demoers anywhere between I think like ten and twelve hours each pitch in, um, but we definitely have like a, a, a team dinner and we all play games together afterwards. And so it's really fun trip and good bonding experience. Yeah, I so. think honestly that's probably one of the things I appreciate most about this is that um, Adam doesn't do what a lot of companies, I mean, when you talk to a lot of people who help participate at Gen Con for a major company, um, I mean, I've heard stories of people going, yes, my hotel's paid for, but I only get four to eight hours of the whole convention that I'm not working. Sure, Which sure. is pretty crazy. So it's nice to be able crazy. to... Um, just go down with people who are cool, play some games and everyone able to enjoy their convention. Yeah. And, and the cool thing too, is we, we've had pretty, you know, pretty successful Gen Cons the past uh, two years, I guess, as, as a publisher. And, and so we're able, we're able to do that. Um, it's not a place where we want, we, we need to make, uh, you know, make, make money. We want to break even there. So that's kind of our goal. And we want, we just want to have fun. Um, but a demo team is huge because you have people outside of the convention exhibitor hall that are demoing games. And, um, when that happens, when, when someone plays, plays a game, they're so much more likely to like it, enjoy it, see the, you know, the complexities of it, um, the nuances of it and, and potentially even walk them or buy a copy. And one one thing that we do from a marketing standpoint is everyone that plays a game has an option. Everyone that plays one of our games has a paid ticketed event has, um, a, a discount code that they can bring over to the Adams Apple games booth to get a, usually it's like a $5 discount on whatever. Yeah. I think, um, a big part of a good demo team for sure is making sure you have people who are good at teaching games. I mean, that may sound obvious, but, um, you don't want to just grab your random friend who isn't going to want to do the pitch and do the sell. Cause like realistically, um, I think we do a good job. I mean, like we do a good job of like having like teaching time and teaching everyone how to teach our games. And I, I would actually recommend doing that. It's like making sure not to say, Hey, here's the rules, but this is how I recommend teaching. This game can be a huge yeah. thing in making those times um, more successful. Yep. That's one thing I have, um, you know, I, I have thought that has gone well. It's like, we always include with the demo box, we play it with the demo but then we also include a how to teach document. So it's got FAQs. It's got kind of like the flow to bring them. You don't have, yep. always have to introduce information all at the start. You can kind of introduce information as things uh, go along. As long as it's at the right point in time in the game, people are totally cool with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one of the other major things we want to um, talk through is booth setup. Um, this is oh my gosh. a big deal. So we're obviously a smaller publisher. So we land in the 10 by 10 um, size. Um, yep. but location, right? Location is huge. Like, um, you have to use your space wisely. 
Yep. And every location is a little bit different. I mean, there are 10 by 10 corners, there are 10 by 10 center aisles. Yep. Um, and then there are end caps as well. We, uh, based on priority points and all that kind of stuff, are going to be in a 10 by 10 center aisle. Um, but the center is not a bad place because because you get people that push through the end, end caps yep. to get to free air. And then you have, you have a great place to interact with um, excited gamers. Um, but one thing that we, we saw last year is like, okay, if you are butt up next to an end cap, they may have a full back panel. Yes. Uh, and so people walking down the aisle are going to see their full panel, their full, pa- their full panel, and then boom, all of a sudden it's Adam's Apple Games. And so if you don't have side panel branding, like you are missing out on people coming the other way. Yep. That yeah, could be seeing huge it. huge white wall um, yeah, on yep. one of our sides of our booth last year because the other side was just uh, obviously they had a big sign up on their side. So we just um, learned a valuable lesson of just planning for not only what you want your booth to look like, but what your neighbor, how to work around your neighbor's booths and optimize your space. How, within it. how do you optimize on the neighbors? Yep. Um, one big issue we've had, I mean, space is, a, it's really tight, right? So we, we try to get these square tables that we can store box stock under. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try to use standing height tables. Um, sorry for everyone that needs to sit at Gen Con. Um, our booth is not going to be the place. Um, we, we, we have a lot of people coming up to the booth. Yeah. And so get, like giving someone a two to three to five minute demo is really valuable. Um, for us, but also for people walking by that are interested, right? So we don't want um, we, we, we want to make that accessible to more uh, as many people as we can throughout the convention because it's you know it's expensive for everyone to be there yeah. and it's everyone's time is really valuable. It's really interesting because um, my original impression of Gen Con was like actually playing way more stuff on the floor, but I think now with just how many people show up, like that is getting harder and harder unless you have dedicated space in your booth to do it. And a ten by ten is just like next to impossible to do that unless you only have one game then maybe you can have um a pitch spot and like a sit down and play spot but um trying to find a way to optimize and like you know get people coming by and like if you have a good pitch then sometimes that's all you need or letting everyone know that those demo spots are open right yeah absolutely i mean um one of the biggest uh pieces of advice that i will give is like when when if you can set your game up in a way that when someone walks by and, and is interested, um, obviously you want to be in, inviting and engaging, but if you can set the game up in a way that you can play a hand and they get to experience the decisions on that one round or that one hand, that gives them infinitely more knowledge than if you are just talking about some pitch. It's really loud in there. Yeah. It's tough to hear what people are talking about. Yeah, one of the if, okay. Depending on their game experience, they, they may or may not resonate with it. So yeah, it's... Play a hand. One of the, yeah, one of the biggest things we do is literally just set the game up to a point where it's like midway through a game and go, hey, here's the scenario. Here's the cards you have in your hand. And let's just like do some actions quick and like actually play through it and let them know like, oh, this is kind of like the feeling of the like what you can get in the game. You can just like um, almost like and, and like realistically, like once you do that, like you just use that over and over and over and you just get really good at it. Sure. You can recycle uh, the the demo, but you know you let people make the decision, which is cool. I, I will say, um, hopping back to the booth setup, um, so we we have redesigned our banners every year. First year we came, boom, Bruin USA all the way across the wall. Yep. Did really well for us. We had a we got we lucked into a marketing sponsorship with the um, uh, I think the first time to Gen Con, I forget what it's called, but so we lucked into that. Um, had a giant 10 you know 10 by 10 setup um flagging down everyone on the end cap was awesome yep. the next year we, we brought truck off and we had bruno say also 
and we started with an entire banner of truck off, okay, across the entire back wall. Well, really quickly figured out that truck off had a ton of traction, uh, but Bruin USA didn't have any traction. We're like, huh, what if we do half and half? That ended up working for us really well, and so we kind of split our, um, you know, split our efforts between Bruin USA and Truck Off that year, and we ended up getting a lot of traction on both of them um, because you know they they attract different people, uh, they attract different gamers, different audience, and it kind of broadens your appeal to the people walking by. Um, so this year, I think we're kind of going to do the same thing. So custom banners, we're going to probably do half and half Truck Off and Sword Crafters. Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest things. Um, I mean, I guess maybe that's the the one of the biggest points to mention is that don't be um, stuck in what your setup is. Like we were very confident, like, Oh, this is what this should look like. And then literally halfway through the first day, you're like, this is weird. Um, I think it'd be better if we do this. And we made a change and it was like, Oh, this is significantly better. So be willing to be it a was, little fluid in how you want to design it. Yeah. It was visibly better from a sales and uh, you know, just a customer standpoint, we had more people stopping by because we had more to offer. Yeah, for sure. Um, Real quick about marketing. So marketing has uh, a big, you know, a big precursor into into Gen Con. So you want to hit a big few things you need to think about. Um, Board Game Geek has a big preview list. Um, you need to talk to, um, I believe it's Eric at BGG. Um, he's all over the place, but he'll get you on the list if you are not on the list. Um, this year we, we had an opportunity to... Uh, stream some games on a live feed on Twitch. And so I think we're going to, I'm excited too. It's like, it's like a 30 minute slot, but 30 minutes to set up 30 minutes to shut down and 30 minutes to stream. So we have some, some new games coming out uh, and some games that we're going to be probably kickstarting in the future. And so we want to give, make sure that we we feature the the new release, but then also um, start to start to pre market, uh, you know, all the, the future stuff. Yeah, I think some other big things are um, Gen Con Library, making sure if you have production copies of your game to get that stuff donated. Um, it's not uncommon for us to have people stop by and say, oh, I saw this at the I mean, at the library and it looked awesome. So I gave it a shot and just kind of more eyes on it as possible. Um, and another big one is um, handouts, materials, like having something to kind of have people remember you. Or if they do a demo, have something to hand them to go, hey, this is the game you just played and don't like, um, here's a card, here's our site. Don't forget about it. Totally. I mean, if you're coming with a new game or pitching to, to publishers or, um, or if, if you are a publisher or self-publishing, um, you want to make sure that people walk away with something to remember you by, um, Gen Con, there's so much stuff going yeah. on and people get a lot of, a lot of new, uh, a lot of marketing stuff thrown at them. So you want to be, you, you want to try to stand yeah, out. I mean, right? even if I mean, if you're on the side of building, I mean, making your designing your game, and you're going as a designer, building that a really polished sell sheet um, is one of those things that's going to be helpful. I mean, I know it's not like we've gone to Gen Con and a, a week later I'm clearing out my bag and I'm like, oh yeah, this looks awesome. Like this huge, oh whatever game that's on the horizon just kind of makes you think about it again. One one question I had, um, and this is we, we, I haven't brought this one up before the show, but. Um, I was wondering if we can get our buddy Matt on the demo team who loves to cosplay to walk around with some sword crafters <laughs> costumes for one day. Yeah, this is, this is the thing we have discussed. And um, I forget what he's going as this year. He um, He's cosplaying on something pretty awesome. And I've seen some stuff on Facebook and I'm hoping that's what he does at Gen Con this year. But um, yes, Adam and I have talked about like, how would you feel about carrying a big sword crafters sword with you the whole time? 
<laughs> okay, so so that that's a huge. I mean, that's a potential cool option. I think you you want to think outside the box. Um, the other thing too is I had I had built a like kind of a life size sword crafter sword in the past, yep. and had brought it to a few conventions. And getting people to take a picture with this thing not only is super shareable, but it also gets them to remember sword crafters and um it's just it's just cool like to hold this giant wooden sword so yeah um but pro tip don't do stickers because if someone's yes yeah, so you cannot do stickers in yeah a bad spot you will get in trouble so yeah um <laughs> real quick there's a few breakdowns of costs about how, how gen con works it's about you know a thousand dollars per room um 1600 bucks per 10 by 10 um Travel, you know, whatever that's going to cost you. We've paid in the past to air freight games to get them there, make sure that they're there. Um, that has definitely been worth it, but it will rack up a fair bit of cost for you. And refreshing those booth, um, you know, uh, displays. Um, a lot of times we'll just rethink, like we, we, we constantly rethink our table setup and all that. So it seems like I spend it every year a few hundred bucks on that. Yeah. So, um, um, it adds up, you know. I think breaking even is, is, the, big, uh, is the big goal. Um, and if you can, you know, anything above is great. Yeah. Um, I know we wanted to keep this tight 30 and we went a little bit over. So in the future, we can just kind of touch on some of these other, um, things that we sure. were hoping to get to, but, um, yeah, obviously Gen Con is a lot of fun. If you can make it out there, totally, um, feel free to reach out and let us know you're going to stop by the booth or let us know if you'll be there and we'll stop by your booth or whatever. It's always fun to. Meet Absolutely. So, um, if you want to try some Adam's Apple games, we're in the um, board game catalog, so you can sign up and register for our games as well as uh, demo them at the booth. Yeah, awesome. So, yeah, reach out, let us know if you're going to Gen Con, um, and feel free to send us any pitches you have. Um, we, where can you reach us, Adam? Uh, Twitter, Adam, at Adam's Apple Games. Or, sorry, <laughs> Twitter, <laughs> at Adam's Apple Games. Yep. Email is Adam at Adam's Apple Games.com, and Facebook is, you know it, Adam's Apple Games. Yeah reach out and um we'll you know keep the communication going but cool man thanks for listening everyone and you know we ended up as, right. as we always do check them check them 